toward the end of Parashat Shmos. After Moshe has had his long discussion with Akash Baruch Hu about going back to Mitzrayim, Moshe is finally, persu- is finally persuaded to return to Mitzrayim to redeem the Jewish people. So on his way back, we have a dramatic but very mysterious episode. It says, Vahiva Derek Pamalon, he was on the road at a lodging place, at a hotel. Hashem encountered him and sought to kill him. Tzipora, Moshe's wife, she saved the day. She seized a tzor. We'll discuss what a tzor is in a moment. But she, she grabbed a tzor. She used it as an implement to perform a mila. She apparently understood that the, the problem here, the reason Hashem was threatening to kill him, was because of a failure to perform brismila. Vatichros is Arlas Bina. She performed Mila. She cut off the Arla, the foreskin of her son. Vataglaraglov, Vatomer Kikasandimatali, Vayirafimenu, then the Malach released, uh, seized his threatening his threatening behavior toward him. We're not gonna get into what those phrases mean about Hasandamim and Hasandim Lamulos, but basically the the, Mal, the Hashem threatened to kill him, and the Tzipara saved him by performing Mila on her son. This is one of several narratives of Bris Mila that appear in Tanakh. The first one, of course, is when God first gives the commandment of Mila to Avram Avinu. It says that Avram performs Mila on himself, on his household. We have we have this one in Pasha Shmos. In Perikei and Sefer Yeshua, we, we, have a, we have the narrative of the mass bris mila at Gilgal at, right after the Jews crossed the Yardin. This particular account is, is a particular mysterious account of, of, of mila. There are a number of questions. Why was there a failure to do mila? The other questions we'll deal with. There are also a number of halachas, the menhagim of mila, that are, this is not the primary place we learn Hilchas mila from, but the there are, there are a number of halachas and hagim which are based on or connected to the story. So we're going to discuss various questions. We're going to discuss tonight various questions in terms of the pshat and what was actually happening in the story, the background of the story, the details of the story, as well as some of the halachas of mila and hagim of mila that are connected to this story. The first question I want to deal with a little bit is, what is a tsar? What is the word, what, is, what was the tsar? What did Tzipara take? So it's interesting that in the Mila at Gilgal, the, the mass Mila that Yeshua performed at Gilgal, also there was the, the word Tzor appears. It says, Fashion for yourselves, Hashem commanded Yeshua, fashion for yourselves, charvos turim, swords or knives, Tzurim, the plural of Tzor, and perform Mila on the Jews. Vayasla Yeshua, charvos turim, Yeshua followed the instructions, he, he, he fashioned charvos turim, and he circumcised the Jewish people in that place that was henceforth called, uh, that was eventually called Givas Aralos, the hill of Arlos. So again, Charvos Tzurim. What is Tzur? What are Tzurim? Most of the Mepharshim, almost all the Mepharshim understand that Tzur means sharp. In Tanakh, the word Tzur frequently means Tzur or Tzur frequently means rock. Rock in the sense of security, of strength. Hashem Tzuri Umiskabi. We often refer to Hashem as Tzuri Yisrael. We, we, we often refer to Hashem as, as the Tzur. The, the Tzur means a, a solid rock, a, a hard, uh, secure place. 
But here, most of the Mepharshim understand, most of the Rishonim understand, that the word tsar does not mean rock, it means sharp. A rock, I guess, is hard. Hard is not exactly scientifically the same as sharp. They're different, they're different properties of materials. But generally hard, sharp, a, a sense of toughness, of, uh, of force, of power. So the word tsar, almost all the Mepharshim that I saw understand, tsar refers, tsar and surim refer to sharp. But as... A sharp object, yeah, a, 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 a knife or some kind of uh, tool that was sharp. Sharp is a, no, it's not, no, it's not a noun. Not a noun, no, no, a, 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 an adjective, a, a sharp object. Ibn Ezra says, chad, a sharp thing, like charvos turim, shem chadim, they're sharp. Bring, they, they bring other psukim that, where the word tzur is used, tzur, or tzur is used that way in Tanakh, Rashbam, and Arparsha also. Tzur here is like charvos turim. Tar malutash, a sharpened razor, Ismel Kharif, a, a, a sharp scalpel. On Yoshua. Yoshua, this is also what many of the commentaries say. The Targum Yonason. Hashem told Yoshua, Aved Lach, Uzmelavan Kharifin. Uzmel, Ismel means a knife, a scalpel, Kharifin, sharp ones. Make sharp, make sharp, make these sharp knives. Vavadla Yoshua, Uzmelavan Kharifin. Yeshua followed his instructions and made these sharp knives. Rashi on Yeshua says, Kitargumo is malavan kharifin. Mean sharp knives. The Radak, Kharvasturim, Kitargumo is malavan kharifin. Ismal and Chadin, sharp knives. And, yeah, Ralbag. Ralbag says, Kharvas Chazakim, strong knives. Again, the word Tsar and Tsar, Tsar in Hebrew has a connotation of strong. To make strong, strong knives. Rolbag has an interesting comment. He says, what were these actually made out of? They were made out of nechoshes, copper. He says, and the reason they were supposed to be so sharp is because that minimizes the pain. A sharp knife cuts quickly and cleanly, and then actually, you, you, know, you, might, you might think that a sharp knife is more, it hurts more, but maybe it's scarier in some ways, but it, it actually hurts less because the cut is cleaner and doesn't disrupt the tissue as much, so the, a sharp knife actually minimizes pain. So that's why he, he should use copper, he says, because that, 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 that enables them to be made extremely sharp. So basically, this was surgical technique. According to many of the Mepharshim, the, the knives were supposed to be strong and sharp and, and, and well-designed for cutting <coughs> to minimize the pain. Yosef ibn Kaspi, Tzurim means Chazakim Ketzur, Bishayim Itrani, Charvos Tzurim, Sakinim Chadim, sharp knives, Tzudasiya, etc. So most of the Mepharshim say that Tzur and Tzurim mean sharp. There is one opinion in Chazal that says that they actually were, that, that Tzor has its common meaning of rock, that the, the Mila here, Tzipara's Mila, the Mila of Yeshua, were actually done with rock. Unklus, Unklus on our Pasuk in, in Shmos, Unklus says, Unisevas Tzipara Tinara. Tinara is an Aramaic word that means hard, usually like stone. Typically it means a stone or like a calcification in body tissue. It, it means something hard and rocky. And it does, not, it does not really mean sharp. It means uh, tinara, it, it seems to mean uh, rock. Again, it's used in Hilchestrephus to mean a hard tissue, a hard calcification, but basically it means something hard, not something strong or sharp. It means, uh, it means a rock, a, a hard... It, apparently, Unclus seems to understand tinara usually means rock. And this is, it, this is pretty much explicit in the Midrash Rabbah. In Bereshus Rabbah, on Parshish Noach, that... Hashem commands Noach, Hashem commands Noach to make a teva out of gopher wood. Amar Rabbi Isi, 
He says there are four places in the Torah where the, where Hashem, where the Torah says, I say, Hashem commands someone to make something. <coughs> in three out of the four places, the material to be used is specified, explicitly specified. In one out of the four places, the material is not specified. The three out of the four that are specified are this one, Tevas Gopher, was made of gopher wood. Second one is in Yoshua, Selacha Charvos Turim, make knives out of what? Out of Turim. Nisparesh, glove and Tinari, knives made out of Tinari, out of rock. So apparently the, the Midrash understands that the Turim was a specification for the material. It wasn't a description of the, of the quality of the edge, it was the material, just like Ate Gopher is the, is the material of the Teva, and Turim is the material of the, the knives used for the Mila by Yoshua. Amidbar, it says, I'm not sure why they're out of order, why we jump from Bereshis to Yeshua back to Bamidbar. Hashem commands Moshe to make two silver trumpets. So again, silver. In these three places, the Torah tells you what to make the, the, the item out of. The fourth place, when Moshe is told to make a, a, uh, an artificial saraf and put it on a pole, so those who are afflicted by the burning serpents will look at it and live. <coughs> he wasn't explicitly told what material to make it out of. A kalpar in the Midrash Rabbah seems to be like Unclus, says explicitly that the tzurim is a material, the material of tinara, of rock, it was made out of rock. Why was it made out of rock? So the Malbim says something interesting. The Malbim on Yoshua, he says that if you read the Pesukim in Yoshua, he says in addition to that, that well, not in the Pesukim, but the Gemara, because I'll explain, in addition to the Mila, there was also a process of Tara from Tumas Mace, of Hazah from uh, Hazah of uh, Eferpara to, to, uh, to retire them from Tumas Mace. So he says, therefore, we couldn't use a, an ordinary Mila knife of iron because there's a special rule that Kalim and Merkabal Tumah, iron Kalim in particular, has a special rule. Some of you shouldn't say other Kalim, but, 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 but certainly, certainly uh, iron Kalim have a special halacha. That when, a, when, a, when an iron keli comes in contact with a mace, most kalim, the degree of tumah that they, that they receive <coughs> is one level below the mace itself, or if they touch someone who's tumah mace, the, kale, the, the other things become one level below the, one level below the, 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 the thing they were makabal tumah mace from. But cherev or all iron kalim, I, I, I think it's a sheet even, not iron, I'm not sure, but at least iron kalim, at least a cherev, or at least, at least iron kalim, they, they have a halacha that, that, they, that they, they become equal in tumah, equal in tumah to the, to the mace they touch, or, or to the person, or to the person that they, <coughs> that they came in contact with. Therefore, it is, it, it, they did not want to use, the Malbim says, ordinary iron mila knives, because that would because that would have worked that would have worked against the that the, that that would have worked against the that but so, so some say it's actually all kalim except lecheres some say it's specifically metal kalim but at least metal kalim they, they have an enhanced version of tumah an upgraded version of tumah that they keep the same tumah without going down a level as the as the person or the mace they touched therefore the, the milanais would have all become tame and so I don't really understand what the Malbim is saying because. Because I'm not sure when they did this this process of of of, of, taras, of, of tara after the mila during the mila if they did it afterwards then what's the problem do, 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 they were anyway all tummy to begin with do the mila with these knives and then do the afar para if they were ready, if they were already doing the afar para before 
then people then people were then people would have been already tahar, and then the mila knives, and then the mila knives wouldn't have become tamei in the first place. Uh, there was the concern that some people were tar and some were tamei already, and by and the mila knives would then carry the tumor from those who were still tamei, those who were tar. So I'm not sure. He doesn't really. I, don't, I didn't see him really explaining it in. In detail, he just says that the, that the cherub would be able to retransmit the tumah back to people if it's chavarei So they dafka wanted to use stone knives rather rather than because I'll talk about kliavanim when, when they want to talk about kalim. They're not makabel tumah. They talk about kliavanim, kalim the the the, 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 the type of tumah whether it's makabel tumah at all of a keli depends on what material it is largely and kliavanim are not makabel tumah. So they used evan, they used evan as opposed to. As opposed to metal. Okay. Anyway, this is the opinion of apparently Unculus and the Midrash Rabbah, but most Mepharshim understand that the most Mepharshim understand that it was that, that, that it was a knife, and, and the word surim and sar just mean sharp. There is a there's a very interesting midrash. We don't seem to have an, really an original version of this midrash. It, it's, it's recorded by a number of achronim, early achronim. There's a midrash that says. As follows, the, the language of the Rambam, the Rambam writes that you can, you can do Mila with any material. You can use rock, you can use glass, anything that cuts. You shouldn't use Krumashalkana, which is dangerous, it can, it can cause damage to the person. However, the Rambam says, The ideal way to do Mila is with iron, whether with a knife or scissors. And the minag, the universal minag in Klai Israel is to use a knife. So Rambam says you can really use whatever you want, anything that cuts, there are no rules. Modern posts can discuss lasers. But you can really use any, any normal, certainly any normal cutting, any, anything, anything physical that cuts that you want. However, there is a mitzim and a mufkar to use iron, and a minag to use a socket. So what is this mitzim and a mufkar to use iron, and what is this uh, minag to use dafka sakin? So Mepharshim offer various theories for what, what the idea here is. With regard to the mitzvah to use iron, so early Akronim bring the following midrash. They say that when David had his famous single combat against Goliath, David and Goliath, so, so Goliath was a, was a terrifying giant of a man who was taunting Israel that nobody can fight me, I'm too big and I'm too strong and, and none of you can take me on. And David was outraged on, on, on behalf of the honor of Klai Yisrael and Hashem. He says, who is this Plishti who is uh, taunting and mocking the Jewish people? I'll fight him. And he persuaded Shaul HaMelech to let him fight. And so Shaul offered him armor, and David said, I won't wear the armor because I'm not trained. I can't move in this armor. So he went out without armor against Goliath, who was a giant of a man who was wearing heavy armor. The Psukim, in great detail, discussed the weight and the material of all the different pieces of armor he was wearing. And he had a heavy helmet on his head. Dovna Melech went out without a sword, simply with his slingshot that he was used to using, with a slingshot that a shepherd uses, and he had five stones, and it says he, he flung a stone at Goliath. It hit him in the head, it penetrated his, it, it, it penetrated his, his, his mighty helmet, knocked him down, and then David went over to him and pulled his sword, Goliath's own sword, and hoisted him on his own petard, and, and killed him with his own sword. So the preacher says, Shamati. He heard a midrash, that, 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 it was, that it, the iron was promised on that day when the iron helmet of Goliath split before, before David, iron was promised that it would get its reward, that it would be used for Mila. The, the preacher mentions this very briefly. The, there's a sefer, Sifse Kohen, not the Sifse Kohen on Shulchan Aruch, by Rav Shabzi Kohen. This is a sefer on Chumash, by Rav Mordechai Kohen, who was an early Kabbalist in, 
Umsas, I think. He says that he says that the, he bring he, he brings a pshat, he brings the midrash that says that they actually used rock back then, and mitzor hachalamish we we translate as tinra tinara. So he says, what's the issue? Why do they used to use rock, and why today do we use stone? Mitzor mufkar today we use today, today we use iron. They used to use rock. What's the what's the what's the deal? He says when David when David approached Goliath to kill him, and he took his five stones. That they, he says that, that the stones became one, according to a midrash, I think it says. So he says that, that Goliath was wearing a kova nechoshes al rosho. Pasuk actually says it was a copper helmet, not an iron helmet. Prisha, I think, says iron. I think it was actually a, a, a copper helmet. Hakash Baruch told the iron, again, the, 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 these mefarshim, this midrash, that they're loosely interchanging iron and copper, they're both metals. He told the iron helmet, please, uh, he, he said, uh, soften yourself, allow the stone to pass through, and I will, I will pay you back. You, you're going to go against your nature. You're going to give in and, and let the stone through. I will repay you by giving you a chelak bektusha. I will give you a, a holy place in Jewish ritual. Two places. Ismail shel mila. You will be the material used for the mila knife. Vesak and shel shechita. And you will be the, the shechita knife. And this is one of the cases where Akash Baruch Hu changed the laws of nature to allow a... Uh, a soft thing, a stone, which was relatively... I mean, stone is pretty hard, but it allowed the stone to pass through the iron. So the Prisha and the Sifsei Kohen bring this Midrash that Mila used to be done with rock, and it was switched because of this... Uh, it was switched because of this... this as a favor to the iron in, in, in a quid pro quo for agreeing to let the stone pass through to make the great nace and Kiddush Hashem of David, of David destroying Goliath. So nobody really knows exactly where this midrash comes from. There, there are various. Uh, there are you know, the the, the priest and the Sifse Kohen seem to be the earliest sources. I saw a, a fascinating account. I saw in the I saw they bring the, in the sefer Tirosh v'Yitzar. So he says that he saw he saw a uh, he, he quotes there that Rebaruch Tumim Frankel, one of the great gedolim of uh, a couple of centuries ago. Rebaruch Tumim Frankel, he, he, he was known for his Hagos. He wrote Sfarim also, but, but he's, no, he's largely known, he wrote Hagos on Shulchan Aruch, on Gemara, all the Sfarim that he learned, he wrote little notes on the, on the side of his Sfarim. And he even wrote notes on the Sefer Tzeno Re'ena. Tzeno Re'ena was a popular work, I think it was in Yiddish, it was a Midrashic work, it was targeted at women, at people who weren't rabbinic scholars, who couldn't read the original Hebrew and understand rabbinic literature. Today we have English works, and Midrashes, and other works of back then, the, the Sephardim had the Ma'am Lois. In Europe, the, they had the Tzano Re'ena, which was a popular work of, of Torah Shabal of, of Jewish, uh, the Mesorah, and, uh, and, and the, 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 the Jewish traditions, the Jewish traditional Torah Shabal for, I think it was targeted largely at women. So we, the Rebarakum and Frankel even wrote notes on even wrote notes on the Tzano Re'ena. So, which was, uh, that's what people say. People say that, that he even wrote notes on, on that. And why did he do that? You know, normally you would think that a, a great scholar like Baruch Tumor Frankel would have limited his attention to scholarly works. So why did he, how, how did he come, how did he come to come about that he wrote notes on the Tzano Re'ena? He says he once saw, <coughs> he once heard that his wife, the Rebetzin, was reading Tzano Re'ena. And she was reading on the story of Arpasha, the, the, the story of Tzipara's Mila. And he heard her read in the Midrash that it says, how come they used to use Mila, they do Mila with stone, Surim and Sar, and today we, use, today we use Mila with iron. He says because until David and Melech's time they used to use rock, but David established that they should start using metal because of this story, because, the, because when, when, when David wanted to, throw, to hurl the stone at the Plishti, 
he was wearing the, the iron the iron helmet, and really the really stone shouldn't break through iron. I mean, it all depends on the velocity, how much energy and force the stone has. But okay, normally an iron stone shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have been armor piercing. It shouldn't have broken through Goliath's iron. The Malach in charge of stone said to the Malach in charge of metal, please let me pass, please uh, give up on your nature and let me pass. And uh, in exchange for that, we'll give you the Mila will be done with iron and not with stone. It'll make you a trade. You, you give in to me today and I'll give, over, I'll, give, I'll give over to you my position of being the substance of Mila. They made that deal. And from that day on, they did Mila with metal. So when Rebaratum frankly heard this thing, the, 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 this Midrash, he, the, he was amazed. He said, I never heard this before. This is something new. I never saw this Midrash because it's not in any of the standard Midrashim. So he, he was amazed. So from, from then on, he, he searched for the Midrash. And in the Tenerana, he wrote down, uh, he wrote whatever he found about the source of this Midrash. That's how he came to write notes on the Tenerana. It wasn't a work he normally studied, but he was, he was fascinated by, by learning something new from the Tenerana. The bottom line is, again, nobody really seems to know where this Midrash comes from. It, 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 it's mentioned in, in the early Achronim, the Prisha and the Sifsei Kohen. Nobody really knows where it comes from, but this is one explanation of why we use stone and why we don't use, uh, why, why, why we use metal, even though, according to some Midrashim, the Tzipor and Yeshua use stone. Rav Asher Weiss says something fascinating, and I find uh, very, very strange, very hard to accept. Rav Asher says, what, what is all this? Why, 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 why do we use iron? Rav Asher brings the halacha. Chazal say, and this is brought in Shulchan Aruch, Chazal say in, in Hilchus HaKana, what type, what type of injury, what type of wound do we mechal Shabbos for? So we know the general rule is anything that's life-threatening, we, uh, we're mechal Shabbos for, even if it's a relatively small chance, even something like a pregnancy, which... Most women are going to be fine. Nevertheless, there's a small chance, so we're Michal Shabbos. Normally, we make these decisions based on what we know of medicine, what, what the doctors tell us is, is dangerous or not. The Gemara, however, gives us certain, certain specific rules, certain types of injuries are presumed to automatically be dangerous. Different criteria for determining when wounds are considered pikuach nefesh. One of them is makashel barzal, an injury caused by iron, even if it's relatively shallow, and even if it's relatively small, apparently, a wound that's an injury caused by iron is presumptively pikuach nefesh. The, the Nishma Savram, Rabbi Avram Sofer Abraham, and he writes, the, the, the simple implication of the words, the, the unqualified expression of makashal barzel implies that it does not matter how large it is, how deep it is, from Michal Shabbos on any cut uh, by a knife, even a needle, even if it's very small and, it, and, and it's not, it wasn't driven in with a lot of force. Rabbi Vega brings that, he says, from one of the Achronim, Tuashar, I think, Kafachayim, Bir Alacha, that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the size, the force, the depth, any injury caused by iron is considered Pikuach Nefesh. Archashulchan says it means Dafka something, that Dafka, a, an injury that was caused by force. I don't really know what this means. If someone, uh, if someone has a knife and is making salad and makes a slight scratch on his finger, he's not going to go to the hospital, not during the week or on Shabbos. If it's, uh, if it's tetanus, even Rabbi Abraham talked about it, if it's a tetanus consideration, maybe, but, uh, see? Right. But there's no size for, for Right. Right. So Dr. Makavos is mentioning that uh, it, there's a concept of Omed Lurticha. It says in Evan Yad Hikahu Oba Barzel. When the Torah talks about based in based the criminal procedure for convicting a murderer of the of the capital crime of murder. It says we have to evaluate the murder weapon. We do OMED, evaluation, and we, and we have to determine whether this weapon is deemed sufficient to cause a death blow. So with other materials like stone, 
we have to evaluate. Does this look like something that could have caused an injury, but it could have caused death? But by Barzel, we don't do that. We say Barzel presumptively can kill, again, because Chazal had a very, very healthy respect for the lethality of Barzel. Nevertheless, again, it's hard to know what this means. If I'm making a salad and I, and I, and I make a slight scratch on my finger, I'm not going to go to the hospital during the week either. So I'm not gonna, certainly not going to be a Shabbat. So what does this really mean? Does this really mean that any scratch on the surface of the body with iron, you go straight to the hospital? I mean, what, they're not going to do anything either. They're going to they're put a bandit on you and send you home. And so like, what are they, they going to do exactly? So I don't know. I, I don't know in practice what we do with this either, whether, we really, whether are we really Mechal Shabbos for any, any scratch from Barzal? I don't know. But if Asher says, if Asher takes this halacha at face value, and he says, there's a concept in Mila, Ki alecha ragnu kolayom. There's a pasuk that says, Ki alecha ragnu kolayom, that, that Kla Yisrael declares it's Mesiris Nefesh for Hashem. We are killed, we're killed kolayom, either Mesiris Nefesh, or we just suffer on behalf of our, uh, of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that, that we're killed kolayom. Because I'll have different interpretations of that, but one of them is Mila. One of them is that we do the mitzvah of Mila, which is a mitzvah that has some risk. Now, of course, we, the halacha is we postpone the Mila. If we, we, even, we even don't do it at all sometimes. We postpone it when there's even a relatively small risk. We, just, we wait a few days or a few weeks and for, uh, for preemies, for, for uh, Billy Rubin, for jaundice. We often wait for Mila. We don't, we don't try to, uh, we're not reckless about it. But nevertheless, the, the Chazal said there is the notion that Mila even a normal Mila does carry some risk, small but non-zero risk. That's an example of Mesiris Nefesh that we have for Akash Baruch Says Rosh Weiss, because Mila, a, a signature aspect of Mila is that it involves Mesiris Nefesh, we, we deliberately want to perform the Mila in a way that will involve Mesiris Nefesh, so we deliberately do the Mila with Barzel, which is something that involves danger. We deliberately play Russian roulette, so to speak. We deliberately... In, Cause some danger in order to in order to underscore our mesiras nefesh to mekayim the pasuk yolacha ragnu kolayom. This just seems so bizarre to me that I'm not sure if Russia really believes that the barzel and the mila elevates the danger. We're deliberately doing mila in a way that causes more danger. We always try to limit the danger. We always try to reduce the danger. We use every sterile technique that we we, we do everything we can to to, to, to minimize danger. So, so I I don't understand. Could be he just means that we don't really consider it a real danger; it's just a nominal or a token amount of danger. I don't really know what he means. Yes, he says. He says his language is that that every Jewish person desires laharos to show everyone wants to show that he's performing the mitzvah with mesiras nefesh, and since barzel is called it's the ideal performance of the mitzvah is to use Barzel, in order to fulfill the Pasuk, because the person being circumcised is not doing it. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to send you, okay, go battle, I'm doing Mesiris Nefesh. Right. <laughs> so Dr. Makavos is making another important point, which is that Mila, a typical Mila, the father on an infant, there's a, uh, there's a bifurcation between the person who's authorizing the Mila and, and, and deciding its parameters and the person who's doing it. As a matter of fact, I recently spoke about this in another share, there is actually some discussion about this. That, that A normal Mila, obviously, we do on a baby. There is a discussion in certain cases where the, where, where the danger is a little bit higher, but the risk is still considered not too high and acceptable. There are posts who say that in a certain intermediate level of risk, a person himself would have the right to make the decision to do the Mila, but a father should not do it for his son. 
that the, you have no right to impose that kind of risk on somebody else. You can, you can, if you want, a normal mila is considered so low, even though it's not zero, but it's so low, you can do it for your son as well. There is actually an intermediate level of risk, and some posts can say that you have the right to do it for yourself, but not to impose it on your child. But you're right, a regular mila, despite the fact that the Gemara calls it a laka ragnikolayom, a mesiras nefesh, it's not the baby's choice, it's the father's choice. So it is interesting that it's called mesiras nefesh. Well, nice for a child, a person's own child, some, some say it's even harder to give up a child than to give up yourself. Some say that Akedas Yitzchak was more of an Isayan for Avram than Yitzchak. To give up your beloved child is even harder than uh, give up your own life. Okay, right, but it's a good point. It, it's not classic mesiras nefesh in the sense of giving up your own life. It's a, tip, a, a typical mila is the father maybe risking his son's life. But still, it's, I find it's very hard to accept the idea that the, we deliberately we deliberately involve more danger than necessary. It just seems so strange to me. I don't know what to make of this. Another aspect of Mila, this is not directly related to the Pasha, but the same Rambam who says that Mikra didn't can use anything that cuts, stone, iron, knife, scissors, anything you want. However, the Rambam says, the ideal mitzvah is to use iron. We just discussed two possible reasons for that, either because to increase the danger, Rosh Weiss's idea, or because of this midrash that it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a compensation to iron for allowing the stone to pass through in the, in the encounter between Dover and Goliath. The Ramam goes on that Mitzvah Amuvchar is still Bain Basak and Bain Misparayim. You can use scissors or Misparayim. You can use knife or scissors. However, the universal minog in Klai Yisrael is to use a knife. So what's that all about? We already explained iron, but why a knife? If, 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 a, if, if a scissors works as well, why is there a minog to use a knife and not a scissors? Maybe surgically it's more effective, but, but halachically, I, I, maybe, I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but halachically, what's the, what's the halachic reason for using a knife and not a scissors? So Ramanachem Kasher says something fascinating. Ramanachem Kasher, he brings a work called Gan Eden. Gan Eden was a classic medieval Karite work, not, not orthodox. It was, it was, it was one, of the, one of the most prominent Karite halachist, Karite authors, theologian and halachist, in the medieval period, in the 14th century. This Karite, he wrote a kind of Shulchan Aruch, and he apparently was, a, he was an admirer of the Rambam, even though he disagreed on, he was a Karite, Rambam was, uh, was, was, an, was an anti-Karite, but he apparently admired Rambam, he tried to imitate Rambam in some ways. So he wrote uh, a book in which he tried to be a sort of Rambam for the Karaites. When he discusses Mila, he goes through Karaite Halacha. He says, Hachacham Rabbi Anan, Noach Eden. Rabbi Anan, the great sage, may, uh, may he rest in Gan Eden. Anan is con- considered by the rabbinates to be uh, one of the greatest Risharim of all time, the, the founder of Karaism. Anan, you know, they, they refer to him as uh, like Yimach Shemo, or similar expression, Shech Kimaya, may his bones be ground up. But for the Karaites, Anan was one of their great heroes. So Anan says reports would be Aaron ben Elio the Karite. Aaron ben Elio says that Anon, the great Anon says that there is, that there is, a, it, it is mandatory to do Mila with a Misparayim, Dafka with the scissors. Why? It says in Yeshua, Charvos Turim, you have to have Charvos, plural. You need to use an implement that has more than one blade, so you have to have a scissors, and not, not a knife. Says the Ganeidim, says Aaron ben Elio, I don't agree with that, he says. He says that maybe he had multiple knives. It means Yeshua made multiple knives to do Mila. It was the whole Klai Yisrael he was doing, so he needed multiple knives. So, but it doesn't mean that each knife had multiple blades. So, Zanon is not correct. More than that, he says, our uh, it says, it says, it says that she took a single tsar. So, apparently, the, this Pasuk says that one tsar is enough. So, Akarchak, when it says Turim and Yeshua, you have to say it means multiple blades, but, but he, he argues that Anon is wrong. That there is 
that there is, uh, you only need one blade, a knife is fine. He goes on to say, by the way, that he says the reason they, he also says tsar, like most of the Rishonim, that tsar means sharp, not rock, and like they're all bag, he says the reason you need sharp knives is because it minimizes pain. Scissors is fine, but you use something sharp that cut cleanly to minimize the pain. Anyway, so Ramanachim Kasher says, so you see that Anon, the founder of the Karaites, said you need a scissors. Aaron ben Elio disagreed, but Anon said you need a scissors. So maybe that's why he says, maybe that's why the Rambam says that there's a universal minog among the rabbinates, among us, to use a knife, not a scissors, is lahotzi miliban of the Karaites, to show that we reject, that we, we utterly reject their traditions and their ideas. We dafka do it the way... Not the way they want to do it to show that, 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 they are, that, their, that their ideas are dvarim betelim and we reject everything they say. This, we discussed this previously. This is, we find similar ideas in other places that, that they used to do certain things, lahotzi miliba and shalat dukim, that they used to, that there were certain minhagim they had that they, that they did in order to, uh, to show that tzadukim were wrong. They cut the omer to show that, that we do it on the second day of Pesach. They always do it on Sunday. So we, we dafka did it publicly in such a way to show that we, that we don't accept the, the, the in Chazal's time they had Tzadukim, the Karaites came later, the Karaites may have been the descendants of the Tzadukim, intellectual descendants, in Chazal's time they had the Tzadukim, which were a similar sect that didn't accept rabbinic interpretations, so uh, we, at various Menhagim, the Chazal, the Chazal said they did, Lahotzi Milivan Shalat Tzadukim, we mentioned once that uh, there are some who speculate, it's some kind of uh, outlier opinion, but there are some who speculate that the whole idea of Ner Shabbos, or in particular the Bracha on Ner Shabbos, may have been instituted as an anti-Karite uh, demonstration. The Karites famously sat in the dark on Shabbos because they felt that Losivaru Eish means you can't have any fire remaining burning on Shabbos. So they, 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 would not, they would not have a fire, even one that was started before Shabbos. Rosad Digon wrote about this at Lamb to Benezra. So, the, so some, some have speculated that, that Chazal was sacking their Shabbos to show that we don't accept that. We dafka have an error on Shabbos. The Chalant uh, famously, the... The, the, the Balamar has famously mentions an idea that anyone who doesn't have hot food on Shabbos were choshish and he might have minus because that's a carrot idea not to have not to have hot food. Anyway, so Rabbi Nachman Kasher suggests maybe that was why there's a minog to uh, to use dafka knife, not a scissors, to show that we utterly reject all the ideas of the all the ideas of the carrots. Now, moving on to another aspect of the story in our parsha. Perhaps the, the most glaring and problematic question is, why did Moshe's son not have a bris I mean, if it was before eight days, then the Malach wouldn't have uh, threatened to kill him. So presumably it was, it was already eight days, and he had no bris Why? Why did Moshe's son not have a bris I mean, Avram, even if there's a discussion whether they kept the whole Torah, even the Tzadikim and before Matan Torah, but Mila was given to Avram. It was given already as a mitzvah to Avram Avinu. So why was there, why, was, why did Moshe not perform a bris on his child? So the Gemara brings... Chazal brings several suggestions. One of them is, one opinion in the Chazal says, Rabbi Shubham Karcha and Abrais, it says, Nisrashel. Moshe was Nisrashel min Amila. Gedol Amila, we see what a great mitzvah Amila is. All the Zchuyos, Shas and Moshe Rabbeinu, all of Moshe's merits couldn't save him when he was guilty of being Nisrashel min Amila, when he was guilty of some degree of negligence about performing Mila. Amar Rebbe, Rebbe responded to this, Chas v'shalom. Moshe was nisrashel on Mila. It can't be. Uh, Moshe would not have been nisrashel for Mila. So why did why did his son not have a bris Mila? Moshe had a reason. He said, apparently, the time to do bris Mila was right around the time that he had this conversation with Hashem, and Hashem sent him back to Mitzrayim. Moshe said, "What should I do? Should I do the Mila and then and then set out on the journey back to Mitzrayim?" Sakano, dangerous to travel while while the child is convalescing from the Mila. Should I do the Mila and wait for a few days? 
Chashbaruch said, go, I have to go now, I, I can't wait. So he had no choice. So he had to, he had to take his kid without Mila and just pack him up and could have left him behind, I guess, but uh, I guess that, was, that wasn't an option. So therefore he took the kid without Mila. So why was he punished? And it sounds like a good argument. Uh, he, he had no choice. What was, what was his mistake? So Rebbe says, Why was he punished? That yes, he couldn't do Mila originally. But as soon as he reached a safe location where he was stopping, where he was uh, setting, where he was where he was camping, where he where he was where, where he was stopping his journey, he should have done Mila right away. Instead, he checked into the hotel first. He brought up the suitcases. He I don't know what he did exactly, but he was involved in the Malone. He, he shouldn't have waited. At that point, he no longer had an excuse. He wasn't traveling. I, I guess he was staying there for a few days. I'm not sure, but the. At that point, he should have done Mila right away. At that point, he no longer had an excuse. It, it wasn't just his rashless that he simply, he simply uh, Mila wasn't a priority for him. Of course, Mila was a priority for him, but he couldn't do it originally. And now he made the small mistake of not doing Mila right away, of instead of uh, instead of immediately doing the mitzvah. The Gemara goes on. The, this is the Gemara Nadar, and the Gemara goes on and says it wasn't actually Moshe Rabbeinu who the Sultan wanted to kill. It was the boy. That's uh, the, the Pesukim are a little bit ambiguous. It says by Yavakesh Amiso wanted to kill him. So Kipshuto, the him is Moshe because we haven't mentioned the kid until the next pasuk. But uh, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says he actually wanted to kill the, the child. Okay, so that that's the Gemara. Rashi brings this. The, Rashi brings that the first he says it was Eliezer, Moshe's second son. He was Nisrashel, also also Nisrashel Nenash Misa. Rashi, Rashi brings the first opinion that it was his rashless, it was simple negligence. Then he brings a bright that says, no, chas v'shalom, lonis rashel. He brings, he brings a version from the Mechilta, the Rabiosi said chas v'shalom, but the problem was that he, that he was, uh, he couldn't do it originally, and now he was punished for, for because he was in Sathik from Malon Okay, so those are the two pshatim that Rashi brings from the Gemara in, from the Gemara in, uh, in the Dharma. There is a third shot, maybe a variation of one of the pshatim in the Gemara. There is a third shot, a very shocking and provocative pshat. It's a mechilta. It, uh, it appears in the mechilta. It, it, not all of them are from So the mechilta, some of them brought it to shame. We've shown him. But the mechilta brings as follows. It says that it says that the it brings an opinion that when Moshe asked Yisro for Tzipara's hand in marriage, Yisro said condition. You have to agree to one thing. The condition is the first son that you have will be for Avodazara. My my religion, you know, the in-laws, parents, when they marry, they have to compromise. They have they have to you, you, they, they, have, they have to split the difference sometimes. I'll go to you for the first half of Yontif, go to you for the second half of Yontif. The Moshe made a, a dreadful compromise with Yisro. Moshe wanted his sons to be over Hashem. Yisro wanted his sons to be over the Avodazara. A compromise. Yisro said, "I get the first one for Avodazara. You get the other ones for Hashem Shemayim." Moshe agreed. He swore, Vayoel Moshe, that means he swore he would keep this condition, and therefore that's why the Malach wanted to kill Moshe, for, for, not, for not doing Mila on his child, and uh, it was more than just Mila, it was the, the, he didn't, the child didn't have a Mila because he was given over to Avodah Zara. Second child? Yeah? The first child was supposed to go there. Ah, very good. So Dr. Makavos is pointing out that which child was this then? If, according to the Lush and the Mechilta, it was the first child for Avodah Zara, so it would seem that the child didn't have the Mila, would have been the first child, Gershom. Rashi explicitly says, we read Rashi before, but the Pathos doesn't say which child didn't have a bris mila, which one she did. But Kipshuto was the second child. Certainly it was Sakana, it means the last child, he didn't have a bris mila. But the, according to this Mechilta, it seems that it would have been his first child. And that is indeed, this point is raised by the Sefer Sifsei Kohen I mentioned before. 
early Akron, he says, he actually combines the, the language of Chazal, the first opinion that Nisrashel Moshe, Moshe was negligent with this pshat. He says, why was Moshe Nisrashel? Because he had sworn to Yisro that his first shell would be for Avodah Zarah. he says, it would have been Gershom. It would have been his first child. Gershom, who was the one without the Mila. All the Mepharshim and Rashi say it was Eliezer. See, he acknowledges this point. Psukim themselves don't say, but he says this is a, this is a, 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 this is a consequence of the Mechilta. If we take the Mechilta at, uh, at face value, it would have been the first son that didn't have a bris Mila. Okay. That's what, the, that's what the Mechilta says. A number of Mepharshim object to this Midrash that this is just very, 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 very hard to accept. Inconceivable. Moshe would have agreed to give a child for Avodah Really? Ibn Ezra, Ibn Ezra asked, uh, attacks the Midrash. He says, Chalila lahamin, chas v'shalom to believe such a thing, that Moshe would have agreed to Tzipara. He says it was a deal with Tzipara. He calls it Divrei Yachid. Divrei Yachid is a, like a Das Yachid, he says. This is a, this is a frequent thing that we show them do sometimes where they find a, a statement in a Midrash that they find very hard to accept. They say, it's Divrei Yachid. It's a Das Yachid in a Midrash. It can't be the consensus of Chazal. It's not the consensus of Chazal. I mean, here also, it's not the consensus there. The Gemara brings other pshatim and why he didn't have a bris mila. Obviously, it's not the unanimous opinion, but the, in other words, the, the, the Gemara Nadarim says that even Nisrashel, Chas V'Shalom, Nisrashel Moshe, certainly, certainly Chas V'Shalom, he would give a son for a Zara, but Benazir says, Chalila Lahamin, Chas V'Shalom, to accept this view of the Midrash, that Moshe would have agreed to, that, that, that Moshe would have agreed to, uh, to do this. Incidentally, he seems to quote the Midrash the other way around. He says the, 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 the deal, according to this Midrash, was his, his first son would, would have a brismila, would be for Hashem. The second one would be for Tzipara, wouldn't have a brismila. According to that version of the Midrash, then the, it would have been Eliezer, like the other Mepharshim say. Now, it's not the language we have in the Mechilta, but that, that's how Ibn Ezra brings it. Navi lo no Navi would do this. Certainly not Navi Hanavim, he says. Certainly not, uh, certainly not the Moshe Rabbeinu. He sent the Malach to tell Moshe to do Mila, and, and, and he should abandon the, his wife and children behind and not take them to Mitzrayim. That's what we find. Yisra brought them later. In other words, the problem was it was dangerous. They couldn't travel while they were recuperating, so we left them in Midian. I mean, they were in a Mullen. They were, they were part of the way there, apparently, already. But I don't know where the Mullen was, according to Ben Ezra. Okay. But Ben Ezra says, this is just very hard to accept. Khalila, he says, to believe that Moshe would have made such a condition with, with Yisra. The... The Rabbi Yaakov Balaturim, the author of the Torah, in his commentary, Balaturim to the Torah, he brings this midrash at all. He says, Yesh drash per midrash. He doesn't have a problem with it. He brings it and seems to, seems to find it acceptable. He says, he says something interesting. He says that the, the, the Benarishan was for Avadizar. That's why he never brismila. Until he says, when Tzipara performed the brismila, Tzipara was Mochel Vatsnai that, 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 Mo, that Moshe made with her father. Apparently, he seems to think she was enough of a principal here. She had the right to be Mochel Vatsnai. I'm not sure why she wasn't Mochel until now. Surely she, uh, presumably, she was a great Sadekis. It's hard to see why she wouldn't have been, if she had the power to be Mochel, why she couldn't have been Mochel earlier. Okay, but, that, but that's what he says. He goes on and he says that uh, he's going, the, the Balaturim is going on a Pasuk in Yistra that it says, Shem ha'echad gershom ki amar gerhayisi baritz nechriya. So what Moshe meant to say was that Moshe said, gerhayisi baritz nechriya. I, I, I wasn't in my own territory. I was, a, I was a stranger in a strange land. I had no choice. He says, when, when I made this deal with Yisro, it's not my fault. I had no choice. I, I didn't have any leverage. I, I was a, uh, I had to listen to Yisro. I, I had no, I needed him. You know, I had to do what he said because I, I, I didn't have the, the power that would come from being in my own, uh, in my own territory.
Nevertheless, the Balaturim says, Moshe, despite all this, despite the fact that Moshe made the Tanai under duress, despite the fact that Tiparo was later Mochalet, he says this had the terrible consequence that a descendant of Moshe, a grandson, was Yehonason. Yehonason was the priest of Pesel Micha. It says that the Pesukim say, I'll explain, he was actually Moshe Rabbeinu's grandson. Was, and that was all because Moshe made this fatal decision to give his first son Tevadazar, even though even though later Tzipar was Mokhalitz and he had a Brismila. <laughs> Nevertheless, because of this tonight, that resulted in the terrible story centuries later of, of, of Pesel Micha, where they, much later, of Pesel Micha, where one of Moshe Rabbeinu's own grandson became a priest for Avodazar. Balaturim also says that it says, Shemachad Gershom ki Omar Gerhayisi Baris Nechriya. He called his first son Gershom because he said I was a Gerhayisi, which means he announced publicly, look, I had no choice. That's why he's called Gershom. But the, but, but, but the second thing he says, he says is that, when it says, Shemachad Eliezer ki Elokei Avi Be'ezri. The, the, the second one was called Eliezer because Hashem uh, helped me. It doesn't say ki Omar ki Elokei Avi Be'ezri. He said, so the Balaturim says he didn't announce this. This was his personal reason, He did not say that publicly because he didn't want anyone to know that he had killed the Mitzri and he was a fugitive from Paro. That was a secret. I'm not sure what he means. I'm not sure when it was a secret. The fact that it was a secret while he was still in Midian, that many Mepharshim say. That, that's why we mentioned earlier, a few weeks ago. That's why he became a shepherd, some Mepharshim say, because he wanted a good out-of-the-way career where he wouldn't be seen by passerby and reported to Paro, the long arm of Paro's law might be able to have him extradited from Midian. He wanted some place where nobody would see him and he would stay uh, off the grid, off the radar. But later, shortly after the destruction of Mitzrayim, when, when at, by the time of Pasha's Yisro, Moshe no longer was afraid of, of Paro, and he wasn't embarrassed by killing the Mitzri either. It doesn't say he did anything wrong. So I'm not sure when the Balatur means to say Moshe was really, was really uh, trying to, still trying to hide this fact. Maybe he meant originally... He, he never, he didn't, when, when he gave a speech at the Bris, or, or not the Bris, when he, when he gave a speech uh, about the name, he didn't say this reason, Paro. he didn't want to, he wanted to keep that secret that he was a fugitive from Paro. So I'm not sure. Earlier he says, Now everyone can see that, that, that I'm an honest. I'm not, that I thought he meant later in the time of Pasha's Yisra, so I'm not sure whether he's referring to Moshe's thought process at the time of Pasha Shmos, when he was still a fugitive in Midian, or at the time of Pasha's Yisro. But anyway, the Balaturim seems to have no problem with this Midrash. He says Moshe made this unfortunate tonight, and it resulted in his grandson eventually being a priest for Avodah But the, the reason he, when he purged the Milo, she was Mochel the tonight. The Sefer Tzedel Aderech. The Sefer Tzedel Aderech is a Pirish, an early Pirish on Rashi from one of the early Akron, where we saw her Bear Eilenberg. Sacher Bar Allenberg was the author of the Be'er Sheva, a halakhic work. He was also the author of the author of the Derech. He brings this midrash from the Balaturim. Balaturim didn't say where he saw the midrash. I found it. Rav Allenberg says in Mechilta. He says Be'emes Alpha of the Emish even al Drush. I know there's a rule. We don't ask Kashas on Drush. Drush is, uh, doesn't always have to be apparently rigorously logical. Sometimes it could be just making a point. Nevertheless, he says, I have to say, this is just bizarre, he says, to say that Moshe Rabbeinu would have agreed, like Ibn Ezra, Moshe Rabbeinu would have agreed to give his first son for Avodah Zarah, he also points out this Midrash would seem to contradict the other Midrash that says that when Moshe arrived at Midian, he saw the girls being molested by the other shepherds, being, uh, being pushed around and molested by the other shepherds. According to the Midrash, that was because Yisro had been Kohen Midian, he had been an idolatrous priest, and Yisro had saw the light, had seen the light, and he had, and he had embraced monotheism. He had rejected Avodah Zarah, 
and that's why they were angry at him uh, for, for rejecting their Avodah so they were harassing his daughters. That implies Yisra was not an Ovid Avodah Zara anymore. So why? So good. Midrash is Chalukah Zuhamzu, I guess. This is a different Midrash. He still was uh, committed somewhat to Avodah Zara. Fine. The, the Sifsei Kohen, as we mentioned, puts these, puts these two Midrashim together. He says that he was in this Rashal to do the Mila because of the promise to Yisra. But he says, we mentioned the Balaturim says that Tzipara, when she chose to do the Mila, she released him from the condition. She apparently had the authority to release him from the condition. The Sifsei Kohen explains it a little differently. He says that the promise, the promise to, the, he, says that he says the promise to, to, to give the son to Badazar, not to Numila, was only binding as long as he was with Yisro, when he was in Yisro's house. Once he left, he says, he was no longer under Yisro's, uh, he says, I don't know if he means that legally he was only binding, or he means that he, he was only forced to submit to this condition. The, the, like we said before, he was an onus, he had no choice. It was only, he was only forced to do this while he was in Yisro's house. Once he left, the, the promise was uh, not binding him anymore. That's why he was punished, he says, because e- either he means, presumably he means while he was in Yisro's house, he couldn't do the Mila, he couldn't get away with it, he had no choice. For that, he was an onus, onus from one of Patre, even though we say have a desire, you're not supposed to do the onus, but somehow he was an onus so up till then. That's why the Malach didn't, uh, we said it might have been around the time of Brismila, but uh, according to the first chapter, for example, that, that it was just a question of danger. But according to this chat, he says, he might have been past the time of Brismila. But the point is that until then, Moshe had an excuse. He had a justification for not doing Mila. The promise prevented him from doing Mila. But once he was out of Yisra's house, either the promise no longer legally bound him, or he was no longer forced to abide by Yisra's rules anymore. Now he should have done Mila. That's why he was punished now, because up till now he had an excuse. Now he, had no, he no longer had any excuse, and now he was punished. So again, a very difficult midrash, and this now Moshe would have agreed to this. Some mafarshim object to it. Ibn Ezra, Tzayd Ladarach, other mafarshim, Sifsei Kohen, and the Tur seem to feel that this is uh, a, not not such a problematic thing to say. It's late. I want to just discuss one final aspect of Mila that is connected to this to this story, this parsha, and that's perhaps the most important halacha, and that is: Can a woman do Mila? Can a woman do bris Mila? I have never seen a woman perform a bris Mila. But what's halacha? Can a woman do a bris milah? Tzipara did a bris milah. So that, that sounds like a good precedent. Can a woman do a bris milah? This is actually a machlokas in the Gemara. The Gemara brings two opinions. The Gemara brings machlokas, Rav and Rabbi Yochanan, whether, whether a woman can do a bris milah. <coughs> the Gemara says, really? Is there someone who says a woman can't do a bris milah? It's, it's a pasuk. Tzipara did a bris milah. So the Gemara brings two resolutions. Either that it means she gave the orders. Uh, like we say, I made a bris today. My father says, uh, I'm making a bris next week. You're making a bris? The mole's making the bris. But you appoint the mole. He's your agent. You, you, you instruct him. You authorize him. So that, that's one shot. And when it says, Vatikach and Vatichros, Tipura took the tar, Tipura Vatichros, it means that she, <coughs> she authorized it. She, she, she got it done. She, 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 she. But Vibayasema, she started it. Moshe finished it. So she, she began to do it, but Moshe had to come in and do the actual... The actual ritual, because a woman can't do mila. So if you hold a woman can't do mila, then we have to say one of these two terutz. How do we paskin? Can a woman do bris mila or not? It's a major machlok shown. Rabbi Yochanan says she can. Normally the halach is rav Rabbi Yochanan, halach Rabbi Yochanan. Nevertheless, here there's, here Tosfos says there's a brisa that seems to go like, like rav. So some of the Bali Tosfos, the Ashkenazim, the Smak, several of the Ashkenazim, Tosfos says yesh lif rav. Tosis then brings a dissenting opinion, but Tosis brings an opinion that we should paskin like Rav. Smak, that goes Mordechai. Other Ashkenazic, we should say we paskin like Rav, that a woman is absolutely ineligible to do bris mila. However, the Baha'i Tosis brings that a woman could do mila. 
The Rif says a woman could do Mila. Ramim says a woman could do Mila. Shulchan Aruch Paskins like the lenient view of the Sfardim, like the Bahag and the Rif and the Rambam, that a woman could do Mila. However, the Rif's language is that, that, that the Rif says... The Rif says that uh, when, when he describes the halach, when, when, he, when he codifies the halach of a woman doing mila, he says, Hilkach, When there's no Jewish man who can do mila, but there is a Jewish woman, a guy can't do mila at all. A guy is completely ineligible. But uh, when there's no Jewish man, when there is a Jewish woman, she can do it because he passed like Rabbi Yochanan, because Rav Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan. Rambam also writes, Rambam writes that who, who can do mila? He says anyone is kosher to do mila except a guy. Rambam writes that a kol in lamul isha katan b'makom shein shamish Not a guy. A guy can never do mila no matter what. But when there's no man around, a woman can do mila. He said Rambam says katan. Yeah, I'm not so familiar with Allah of katan, but but but, but Rambam does say katan. Yes. So so but a woman can do Mila if there's no man around, like the Rif, but if there's a man, a man should do Mila. So the Shulchan Aruch passes like the Rif and the Rambam, that a, a woman could do Mila, but a man is preferred. Ramah brings the Yesh Amrim that, that a woman cannot do Mila, like, this, like the Ashkenazim, a woman cannot do Mila at all, no matter what. And then he says, uh, The Minig is to look for a man. The Shach is actually puzzled by that. What do you mean the Minig is to look for a man? Even the Shulchan Aruch agrees it's better to use a man. If a man is available, then, then, then of course the Minig is to look for a man. Even the, even the Mekilim say, even the Rif and the Ram say the Minig is to look for a man. Why do they say you should look for a man? If they pass him like a Biochan, why should you look for a man? What's wrong with a woman? So the Pashto says that they're being Choshish for the Sheets of Rav. Even though the Ikral Allah is like a Biochanan, Miyostov be Choshish for Rav as well, and, and uh, like a Chile use a man. The, the Shagat Aryeh brings the possibility that even if a woman can do it, she can't make a bracha, according to the sheet of the Shulchan Aruch, that the Rambam, that a woman doesn't make a bracha, Mitzvah Seisha is non so maybe, maybe a woman is in that category, she couldn't make a bracha, it's better to use a man, but he, he rejects that, he says a woman could make a bracha, the Shulchan Aruch is mashma, a woman can absolutely do the mila 100%, even with making a bracha, so the Pashto said the reason you shouldn't use a woman if you have a man available is because miyos tov, you should be choshesh for yotzi l'chaladeus and use a man. But miyikra din, the Shulchan Aruch paskins that you can use a woman if there's no, and if there's no man, just use a, use a woman. Ramah brings a sheet to that you shouldn't do that and claims it's the minig. So again, the shock is puzzled. What do you mean the minig? You mean the minig is l'chatchila to use a woman, of course, even the Shulchan Aruch agrees to not to use a woman, to use a man. Even the Shulchan Aruch agrees to that. If you mean that even B'dieva in the Minig is not to do anything to, if, if, if all you have is a woman, what kind of Minig is that? The, 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 the shocks, how often does that happen? If there's no moel around except a woman. A Minig has to happen often enough to say this is the Minig. How often does that happen? Furthermore, the shock says, yeah, women don't do Mila because they don't know how. They're not trained. But, but who says that if, there's, uh, that if you have a trained woman, she can't do Mila? This is actually reminiscent of the very first shock in your day. There, the shock seems to contradict himself a little bit. The very first shach in Yerodea is discussing whether a woman can do shechita. Pashtas says she can, but there are some opinions that a woman cannot do shechita. So the post can discuss whether, whether we can bring a raya, because the minig is women don't shech. No one ever saw a woman shech. So the, some, some say, no, there's no raya, Lori, you know, ain't a raya. You never saw it, but you know, that doesn't mean they can't do it. If you saw, if you saw that women did shech, that would be, sometimes that would be a raya that they could. That would be a raya the minig is that they could. If you saw a woman does not do shechita, you can't bring a riot from a negative. They, they don't want to. They, the women are busy doing other things. So who said there's a minig they don't, they don't do mila? The shach says, no, Lorinu is a riot. The fact that no one ever saw a woman do, do shechita, never in any circumstance, 
That's called a minog. That, that's a raya. That, that, that minog is a raya that they can't do shechita. So there the shach seems to say the fact that no women ever did shechita is a raya that they can't do shechita. When it comes to Mila, the shach says it's not a raya. Maybe they just don't know how, so, so, so they're not trained. So I don't know why he doesn't say that when it comes to shechita. Maybe they never did shechita because they're not trained. But, but somehow when it comes to shechita, the, the shach says, no, no, the fact that for hundreds of years no one ever saw a woman do shechita, that's a solid raya that, that the minog is, they, they don't do shechita, that there's a halachic objection. When it comes to Mila, the shach says, no, it's not a raya, that the, they don't do it because they're not trained. But if you find a woman who's trained, she could do it. I actually had the Shiloh once. This actually came up, Palachalamaisa, to me once. When my son was born, I was approached by a medical resident, a, a woman medical resident in the hospital. She said she was Jewish, and she knew something about you know, Jewish law. She said, as, a, as, as an OBGYN resident, she sometimes does circumcision. So that, that's, that's part of her job. Now she knows that Jews need a bris mila. She's Jewish. She wants to know, can she do a bris mila? Is she, is she kosher? Is she kshera to do mila? So I didn't know, and I was just after my son was born, and I don't know if my head was all there. I didn't know the halacha. I told her I wasn't sure. I told her I would get back to her, I think. Unfortunately, I never did. But basically, this is a major machlokus. According to, the, according to Rabbi Yochanan and the Rif and the, and the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch, yes, a woman could do mila. It's better to use a man. But if you're dealing with parents who are not observant, they're not going to come get a real bris mila anyway. This is your one shot. You're doing the mila anyway. Then yes, and do a pateras mila, and it's a kosher mila. It's the, 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 best, the best they're going to get. So of course, why not? Do it and mechavin l'shem mila, and then great. According to the Ramah, it's less clear. According to the Ramah, that Ramah is choshish for the shita, so you can't do mila at all, and you should definitely try to get a man. But again, the question is, what if you can't? It's not happening. They're not getting a real moal, these people. They're in the hospital now. Again, it's if you can arrange for a coworker, a Jewish coworker, to do it instead of you. You can have someone else come in, a, a, a Jewish doctor come in and do it. Then, then great, fine. Assuming that's not practical, it's not possible. It's either you or no one, or a guy. So, the Ramah only says, yesh omrim, that, that, that it's possible. But Lacharu, it would follow again, if the choice is nothing or the woman, the woman is better than nothing, Yotze, according to some Rishonim, at least, Ramah says the minigisti mahadir achar isha. Again, it's not clear what the Ramah means. He means the minigis if you can. I mean, of course, of course, if you can. Everyone agrees if you can. Even the Ramah agrees. The Shulchan Aruch agrees if you can, you should try for a man. If the Ramah means the minigis not to do it at all, if there's, uh, if there's uh, not to have the woman do it at all, just let the kids stay in RL, that's a big chiddush, and it's hard to understand why that would be. According to many, according to many, we shown him here, it's a valid bris mila. So why is it better to be in RL than to. It, it, you're not worse off by having a mila al-Ida than not having a mila at all. Unless Rama means a case where you hope to get a, a man in, in, in a year or in six months, you're not going to have a mila bismana, but you'll have a man sometime. I'll call upon him, it, it, it would seem logically <coughs> that in a case where the choice is really a woman or nothing, it would seem that it would be better to do a bris mila, I, I would assume, without having done extensive research, it would be better to have the bris mila by a woman than not to have it at all. Of course, uh, ideally, everyone agrees that ideally it's better to have a man. And according to the Ramad, it's, it's more than just ideal. You should really try really hard to get a man because you may not be Yotze with a woman. But if there's no choice at all, if it's a woman or nothing, it would seem to be quite reasonable to suggest that it would still be better to have a woman than to have no bris at all.